And I think at the end of the day, I was looking for something more meaningful to do. And I really wanted to say to my boys, you know, before I get put in a box in the ground, I wanted to feel good about saying to them, hey guys, this is what your father did. And most importantly, I'm proud of what I did. And most importantly, I'm proud of the fact that I had a positive impact on this world. Welcome, good people, to the Real Leaders Podcast, where today impacts tomorrow. Solar is a no-brainer and leaders keep it real. That excerpt was from Trevor Hardy, the CEO of Blue Wave Solar, who shares with you the specific moment that led to his career change, the excitement for new solar energy storage integration, and the leadership needed for the next energy revolution. Enjoy. Let's go. All right, here we go. Let's have fun in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone. To the Relators Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Alongside us today, uh, we have Trevor Hardy, the CEO of Blue Wave Solar. Trevor, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I appreciate your time. So, Trevor, first question I have for you is, is renewable energy, solar energy, we're going to be talking a lot about that today. When and why did you get into the solar <laughs> business? When did I jump on board the solar coaster? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, my background is primarily in real estate private equity. So I spent uh, eight or so years uh, working in the real estate private equity field. Um, That was a great learning experience for me. Um, I think after a while, though, however, I started asking myself the question, you know, is this it? (laughs) Uh, Am I going to spend the rest of my career underwriting large institutional quality real estate assets. Um, You know, in 2010, I had my first son. I've got two young boys, both of whom I'm very proud of. Um, And I think at the end of the day, I was looking for something more meaningful to do. And I really wanted to say to my boys, you know, before I get put in a box in the ground, I wanted to feel good about saying to them, Hey guys, this is what your father did. And most importantly, I'm proud of what I did. And most importantly, I'm proud of the fact that I had a positive impact on this world. So in, you know, with the crash of the real estate markets in 08 and 09, um, you know, that was a tremendous learning experience for me. I saw literally billions of dollars get wiped off the table. and wiped off a lot of the transactions I've been working on. Um, I started thinking about, hey, you know, I want to do something more meaningful. Uh, My parents are actually farmers in South Africa, and I was always intrigued with land developments. And then, you know, most importantly, Kevin, I think for me, I also saw the massive influx of institutional capital in the real estate space. And I started tracking what I thought would be realistic yields on on renewable assets. And there was a massive, massive spread there, which just didn't make any uh, rational sense to me. So, you know, at that stage, yields on institutional quality class A real estate assets were trading in the mid single digits. And in those days, the wild west of the solar industry, you could buy a very small, you know, uh, solar farm at a you know low teens yield 
So, and the credit standing behind that solar project was stronger than the credit that was standing behind the uh, um, large institutional office building, for example. So I saw that mispricing in the market. And I also saw where I thought large institutional real estate owners were going. A lot of them were starting to have very stringent requirements from a sustainability perspective. And I thought there would be a massive opportunity uh, and a significant transformation in the capital markets where a lot of that institutional capital would start moving uh, towards the renewable space, not because it was a rash, not only because it was a rational economic uh, thing to do, but also because it was the right thing to do. So, bottom line, that's how I made the transition. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to meet uh, Eric, who you've interviewed uh, previously, who's the president at Blue Wave, and the chairman of the company, John De Villas, who are both very good friends and obviously close business partners. And uh, they had technically established Blue Wave in early or mid 2010. I spoke with them through 2011 and then joined as the third founding partner in January of 2012 was when I finally made the, took the plunge. So Trevor, what I find so interesting is, and maybe we could start this conversation off more of just like the personal focus and then go into the solar yeah. and kind of like that. But uh, when you were in invest, investment banking or just in banking in general, uh, our guest yesterday on the show was in banking. Uh, uh, many founders and many CEOs were in banking then have this this realization or something like that. And they say, I need to do something more meaningful like, with my life, like you just said. When did you really reach that tipping point that got you over? And maybe can you describe how you were, how you knew that like, this is what I had to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, to be honest, um, there's a large office tower in town and we uh, uh, head offices in downtown Boston. And I think I'd looked at the John, you know, acquiring the John Hancock building on behalf of the, the fund that I was working for. I looked at that asset maybe four or five times. I knew all the tenants that were in there. And, you know, we'd looked at taking debt positions in the asset. We'd looked at acquiring the asset probably two or three times. And I just, I don't know, I think I came to, I asked myself the question, like, is this what I'm going to be doing? for the rest of my life. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean to knock that at all. I think that's a really yeah, definitely. Uh, challenging and a creative and an interesting industry to be in. But for me, uh, long-term, I think I just, my gut, I knew that it wasn't gonna fulfill me on a long-term basis. Um, so I don't think it was necessarily one specific, you know, it's not like uh, right. <laughs> there was a, an epiphany one day, um, but over a series of years, I really started searching for something that I think resonated with me more personally. Um, and renewables was definitely the world that I wanted to, to, to be in. And then I would say one last thing, sorry to drag on the answer, but I happened to be up in Vermont. Um, that was the winter of 2010, I think. And there was a multiple axis tracking solar system that had just been installed as a test, a pilot uh, 
facility in northern Vermont that was under construction. They just finished the first installation. And I went, I think my wife thought I was crazy, but instead of skiing one day, I went and I was standing there. And, uh, you know, if there was one moment where I remember clearly saying to myself, this is what I'm going to do. You know, it was an overcast late morning. And then all of a sudden the sun came out and this tracker, you know, started pivoting towards the sun, moved this entire array of modules to face the sun. And I was just standing there thinking, man, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. And I think that was also another moment where a specific moment where I said to myself, like, why aren't we doing this as a community? Mm. You know, we've got this unbelievable resource. Why aren't we doing this? It seems to be the most obvious thing. I mean, there are challenges associated with solar power and solar energy. But if I had to pick on a specific point in time, that would be one of them. So, so now we're on the solar coaster. So now we've officially joined the solar coaster and, and you've got this great background in finance and, and technology. I asked the question yesterday, uh, you know, at what rate does technology become adopted? Is it trust? Is it uh, competency? Um, and what I find so unique about Blue Wave Solar is you give people such incredible low risk solutions to get solar into your community and have it be funded until it makes money. Um, uh, what kind of instruments are you using uh, to make sure that solar can be adopted? Um, man, that's a that's a broad question. I would say fundamentally appealing to people's rational economic sense. Mm. People, I think, want to do or people, and when I say people, I'm referring to you know homeowners, but also. Uh, communities, organizations, companies. They want to do the right thing. Um, But I think when it becomes a rationally economic choice to make, i.e., as a homeowner, I could subscribe to a local community solar farm and save up to 10% of my utility bill, why wouldn't I do that? Mm. Um, I think... You know that's one of the that's one of the messages that we try and focus on. And and look, you know, John Deville is the chairman of our company. Uh, was the former secretary of the environment in Massachusetts, uh, head of the New England region of the EPA. Our DNA DNA is is focused on the environment. That's what why we do what we do. Um, but I think for a lot of people, that's important. But until it makes rational economic sense and you can explain to them in a very simple way that if you choose this, you will save money. And most importantly, you can then tell your neighbors that you're doing that and you can feel good about it. Um, I think you struggle to get the adoption that you think would be a no brainer. Yeah, and, and we're seeing that all around the world. Yeah, I think renewable energies and alternative energies are, are increasing as uh, coal and, and fossil fuels are slowly decreasing. They are a lot more, but definitely on that path. And I think the one example that sticks out to me, I think it was, I think it was this year, was in India. Are you aware of what happened in India this year? I, I know they didn't get enough bids on this big coal, coal farm 
and they were able to produce like 950 megawatts or something like that for like one cent virtually for free and so they are now investing a ton into renewable energy along with the rest of the world in india which is saying something right so in terms of this adoption like where do you see solar going in the united states uh first and then around the world yeah i think it's listen i and (laughs) i'm biased obviously but there's no doubt in my mind that solar is going to change the world as we know it Mm. And it's not solar alone on a standalone basis. It's solar integrated with economic storage, which is critical. And I think, Kevin, that's going to be one of the dynamics which over the course of the next five to ten years is going to be, you know, gasoline on the solar fire um, is the cost-effective integration of battery storage. Uh, Because that you know, obviously is solar's biggest handicap. Right. Sure. You can power all sorts of things when the sun is shining, but uh, if you cannot cost effectively store that energy, it's not really a base load uh, and concentrated solar and, and, you know, some other more interesting uh, technology, technological uh, um, uh, solutions, which address that. But Bottom line to your question, I think solar is going to continue to grow exponentially uh, in the U.S., particularly with the integration of storage. And when you look at, you know, for example, in the Northeast, a lot of our business is based in the Northeast New England region. Um, I think around... uh, I think all of the New England states have set goals of reducing... Uh, greenhouse gas gas emissions by 80 percent by 2050 and when you look at what needs to happen uh, in order to get there we have to accelerate the amount of solar and renewable power that we are that we are generating exponentially so in the u.s i think it's a no-brainer and 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 it's and i say a no-brainer because it makes fundamental economic sense right now solar and winds are the cheapest sources of new power. And you asked about international. I'm not particularly familiar with India. Um, I'm from South Africa originally. Blue Wave has a small office out in, in down in Cape Town. Um, and we actually have uh, a fair amount of development activity down there, which unfortunately has been mothballed for, for a few years. But South Africa, I think, has built two of the largest coal-fired, fire, coal-fired power stations in the world over the course of the last uh, 10 years. I don't, can't recall the numbers offhand, but both of them are many times over budget. They're seven to 10 years late. The, the, the cost of every kilowatt hour that those facilities are generating are far and above, I think, almost 2x where the last uh, round of renewable power projects bid. I think uh, uh, in Rand's sense, they were bidding in at around uh, uh, 70 to 80 cents a kilowatt hour. And the levelized cost from those coal-fired power stations was around around 20 to around 40, depending on the, of the price of coal. So um, again, it makes perfect rational economic sense to do so. And in a country like South Africa, where you've got some of the most incredible 
solar and wind resource in the world, South Africa should be, and, and it was unfortunately up until some political hiccups and it will be doing so hopefully again, but that should be South Africans, South Africa's moment to shine. Right. And when you look at the broader economic impact of installing these large solar farms where you're also employing local people to build the facilities, uh, you're employing local people to manage and maintain those facilities. A lot of those facilities in rural areas which are really, really struggling economically, I mean, it is, it is a no-brainer. So... Sorry, long, long-winded answer to your question, but I get excited about this stuff. No, not all. I'm, ex- I'm excited too. Thanks, thanks for sharing, Trevor. Uh, storage. Uh, this is always seems to be the argument is storage. How do we store yeah. something like gasoline? You can put it in a barrel. You can ship it across the country, ship it across the world. I personally don't know. I know it's stored in batteries. I don't know what that looks like. Could you maybe break down from uh, not just for my, me, but the audience, uh, how your energy is stored and what are some of the challenges right now with this infrastructure? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll qualify everything that I'm about to say. Uh, I'm no storage expert. Okay. Uh, we are learning right now. Um, we are in the process of uh, breaking ground on about 16 megawatts worth of solar projects, all of which will have battery storage integrated. In 16 megawatts. Yeah. Yeah. 16 megawatts for folks who aren't that familiar one a one megawatt solar facility will take up about five to seven acres of land depending on the configuration of the modules etc etc so roughly that's all in about 100 acres worth of panels that we're literally going to be going into the ground with in the next uh, month or two it's always gets interesting building through the new england winters (laughs) i'm sure um but all of that 16 megawatts is going to have DC coupled storage, which means that the batteries are sitting on this uh, electrical meter that the, the solar farm is sitting on. So as kilowatt hours are generated by the solar facility, those battery systems, which are typically lithium ion, to be 100% honest, I don't. the projects that we are breaking ground with, I don't know offhand exactly what the specific battery technology is. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's lithium ion, but there are all kinds of different uh, uh, solutions out there. Um, but what it effectively enables us to do, Kevin, is and enables the grid to do, it, make, it brings a tremendous amount of stability to the grid. Mm. So one of the challenges, as we were touching on earlier with solar power generation, is just the intermittency um, and the unpredictability. And what that storage really becomes, the easiest way to think about it is it's basically a shock absorber. So it is, it's a shock absorber for delivering that power into the grids at a time when it's most needed. Hmm. And often when it's, it's most precious from an economic standpoint. So um, Blue Wave is learning. Um, we're actually partnering uh, with um, a large company I can't, disclose who just yet to um, who are storage experts and um, they're one of our largest clients also on the community solar side of our business Um, and we're going to be working with them to build out 16 megawatts of storage integrated solar in in massachusetts in the next uh four to six months that's awesome which we're very very excited about yeah congratulations that's great uh 
you mentioned the, the harsh New England vi- environment. Uh, are people worried about, uh, you know, solar obviously needs the sun. The sun only comes up a certain amount of time during the year. Uh, for instance, like in Alaska, you know, right now there's probably two hours of sunshine a day. And in summer, though, it's 22 hours a day as well. Uh, but is that ever a problem in certain types of areas around the world? Yeah, I mean, it obviously it has an impact. But what you've got to look at is not only um, the resource that's available. So, for example, in South Africa, the resource is incredible. Probably in in most in one instance in one of our large farms, which is a 360 megawatt uh, development, it hasn't been built yet in South Africa. We've got two x the amount of uh, solar resource there as we do in New England. So the solar resource is important, but what is equally, if not more important, Kevin, is what is the value of every kilowatt hour that that solar facility is generating? So simply put, what is the, what is the cost of electricity? Okay. Because that really determines the value of that solar kilowatt hour. Um, uh, and in New England, specifically in Massachusetts, where we happen to be at the end of the gas line and uh, you know, we have, we're shutting down nukes uh, we have, you know, uh, uh, I think a, uh, a demographic here which is very focused on encouraging um, the deployment and integration of, of renewables. The cost of electricity is high. Um, so the value of solar is, is also very high. Mm. And um, so going back to your question, I mean, solar is not a solution that um works everywhere but um uh in most cases it does uh but you've got to you can't only look at the amount of solar resources resources you've got to look at the entire uh value proposition uh, you mentioned uh, in one of your the first opening statements of what, about why you went into solar and, and how you believe, you know, this could fundamentally uh, revolutionize the world and change the world, and make it a better place. And I, and I agree with that, too, in the sense that resources, we fight over resources. And the example I like to give is I interviewed this. I don't know if you know who Akon is uh, by chance, but he's doing this big. You mentioned Africa, a big so, uh, Akon Lighting Africa project. Um, and they established this billion-dollar credit line with the Chinese solar panel manufacturer, brought in elect, you know, solar panels and lights to all these people in rural cities to give them power, electricity, they can yeah. study late at night, no kerosene lanterns, all this great stuff. But the reason he didn't do it was to create renewable energy. The reason he had to do it was because the governments over there are very tied close to these oil farms uh, or these oil plants. Um, and you look at, I mean, I don't want to get political yeah. at all, but like you look at what's happening right now with the bombings of oil uh, fields and the, the wars that could potentially start out of that. Um, the question I have for you, Trevor, is, is this something, since I know Blue Wave Solar is community driven right now, is this something where every community could be powered by solar in, in the long uh, Absolutely. Term? I mean, I don't think it's realistic to assume that... Um, communities will be able to rely on solar only. Right. Okay. Um, I just don't think that's realistic. But solar with storage integrated can become a very, very meaningful uh, portion of the load requirements. Mm. 
And going back to what I was saying earlier about why why I feel so strongly that solar is likely to change the world long term is with storage integration, every home has the pot the post the the opportunity to effectively become its own money utility. Mm. And think about that from a uh, an infrastructure point of view. Think about that from a grid stability point of view. Um, and it's a very significant challenge for the utility companies out there because as the economic incentive increases for more and more people to go off the grids, particularly as storage integration becomes real, uh, the cost of maintaining that grid is not changing. Right. So that cost is now getting getting spread over fewer and fewer people, which in turn drives the cost of every kilowatt hour that you buy from the utility company up, which then in turn increases the incentive for, for you to go off grid if you can afford to do so. Mm. And now there's a lot of, you know, a lot of very competitive financing uh, products available out there. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really significant challenge for large utility companies, particularly ones who um, aren't getting ahead of the parade and, and, and frankly, joining the parade. And speaking um, of uh, join the parade, Trevor, like we, we look at uh, like electronic vehicles and complementary commodities. Like how, how much do you think those type of commodities or, or instruments or vehicles play a role in the adoption of solar? Huge, huge. An EV, an electric vehicle, and I'm a very proud owner of a, a plug-in electric hybrid hybrid uh, Volvo station wagon where I throw the, the boys and the dog and everyone in every weekend. But um, think of an electric vehicle as a mobile battery. That's all it is. So if you have the opportunity to park, you know, you can paint a picture, which is real for a number of people today. They can drive to work in the morning, park in a, a solar PV under a solar PV canopy, charge their car with solar power, drive home and effectively plug the house into the car, not the other way around. And I don't think, you know, cars are to the point yet where you can realistically live off the the power from the the car alone but that that world is coming and uh so i think to answer your question kevin it's a huge it's a it's another part of the energy revolution and think of what that electrical demand is going to do to the existing grid infrastructure Mm. it's going to place a significant amount of additional burden on the existing grid infrastructure but I, you know, like I said, I'm very proud owner of a plug-in electric hybrid vehicle. I live in a in a beautiful old house, and technically could put solar panels on my roof, but it's the house is on the national register of historic places, and I think my neighbours would get pretty upset with me if I did. So I made the choice to subscribe to one of Blue Wave's community solar farms. Mm. So I was so proud the day I got that vehicle. This was only two, three years ago. You know, I'd been driving a beaten up old Jeep up until then, a real gas guzzler. And I pulled it into the driveway 
And I, I plugged it in and I took a photograph and I sent that photograph to a bunch of my close friends and said, hey guys, here's my new leased car, which I'm very proud of. But more importantly, I'm proud of the fact that this vehicle is being generated by one of Blue Wave's community solar farms. So I'm effectively driving around on the solar power, which is being generated by one of our community solar farms. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, and that's a big distinction right there. Uh, just for our audience, uh, could you maybe elaborate on that when you say you don't have solar panels on your roof and how that energy yeah. gets to your house? Yeah. Yeah. So when I say I'm effectively drawing on those kilowatt hours, the way that community solar basically works is as power gets generated in a remote facility, um, that power goes onto the grid. And as it goes onto the grid, it generates a net, what's called a net metering credit. Think about it very simply as being a gift card to the utility company. So I get effectively a gift card in the mail. It's got a $100 face value. I pay $90 for that gift card. And that gift card gets applied to my utility bill every month. So all of that happens automatically. And uh, all of those credits are applied every month. So effectively at the end of the day, by having no, I don't, I don't have any solar panels on my roof, but I'm effectively drawing power indirectly from a community solar farm, which is uh, out in Dover, Massachusetts. And, and that specific facility is on a, is on a uh, landfill. So it's on a piece of land, which, you know, doesn't have, I, I couldn't think of a higher and better use than putting solar panels all over the top of that uh, cap landfill. Mm. And Trevor, I think that ties in great with what you were saying at the very beginning was uh, when we were talking about the rate of adoption, is it trust, is it uh, competency? And you were saying, you know, it's just economic incentives. Um, <clears throat> this, as you were coined it, uh, energy revolution is, is coming and, and it's trending. Uh, what type of leadership is needed amongst business owners, amongst municipalities, government workers? Yeah. What would you say, what type of leadership is needed? Bold. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think, I think now, Kevin, it's a lot easier for people to take that plunge because, you know, they see fires burning in Australia. I mean, I think climate change, it still boggles my mind how folks can deny that climate change is real, but I won't even go down that, that rabbit hole. Um, so, in terms of leadership, I think um, there are bold leaders out there over the course of the last 10 years who I think were at the front of the parades and were advocating for change very early. And this is where I give, you know, uh, the chairman of our company, John DeVillers, uh, a lot of credits. He's been, you know, environmental stewardship has been his career for 40, 50 years. Um, I would put him in that bold leader category. Um, and yeah, I, I think lead, leaders of companies, communities, uh, municipalities are doing it now. Yes, because it makes rational economic sense for them to do so, but they're doing it also because their customers, their constituents, are demanding it. So 
I don't think it requires, to be totally honest, nearly as as much uh, um, uh, audacity as it did, say, 10 years ago. Um, but in a lot of places, and I'm thinking more, you know, broadly in terms of places like South Africa, uh, the Bahamas, where we've been active before as well, um, the politics is... The, the juggernaut of politics is very complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes in circumstances like that where people, to your point earlier, Kevin, where people have the courage to stand up to the large vested interests and say, no, we're not thinking about this in a holistic way. And um, the true cost of what we are doing here is far, far greater. We may not see it. But you can bet your bottom dollar that our children are going to see it. And, they, and we're seeing that already. And I think in those circumstances where politically you have to be brave and bold, um, a lot more of that is happening. But that's that's what it requires. Were, were these leaders, Trevor, uh, more, more scarce when you started? And are you seeing a lot more? Are they still difficult to find in terms of investors, uh, people who are maybe mission aligned? Uh, maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, no, I think there's been a sea change since, you know, when I first started looking at this industry, 2008, 2009, it was the Wild West. And I remember also talking to you know, former colleagues. When I left the real estate private equity fund that I was working at, I mean, they thought that I'd, I'd lost my mind when I started talking about solar and renewable power. And uh, um, I have a very funny recollection of, of the conversation I had with my senior managing director when I told him what he was, what, what I was doing. Um, so yeah, I think there's been a very significant change and to be honest, again, what's driving that change is 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 political uh, a change in the political winds. Um, but I think it's also a change being driven a lot by the capital markets. There's a tremendous amount of capital flowing into the space, and it's flowing into the space because the largest pension funds, the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world, are saying. I want you to commit to, uh, you know, placing capital in, uh, you know, companies and opportunities that are, you know, socially, environmentally uh, accretive. Mm. Um, so, I, I think there has been a big, uh, a, a big change in uh, the number of people who are stepping up to the to the plate. And Trevor, when we think about leadership, we think of people or organizations that aren't doing something that's externally validated yet. You, you mentioned the wild, wild west. Doing something that's not essentially or ex- externally validated yet that fulfills some type of philosophical belief. So whether it's you, John, or Eric in this space, um, what is leadership to you all and how would you define your definition of a real leader? I think a real leader is someone, and I will lean on John here, someone who inspires belief in in others. And when I look at our journey at building out Blue Wave, we've been 
tremendous, and we're tremendously proud of all the projects. Uh, you know, we've 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 developed, financed, built over 150 megawatts of projects now. A very significant slug of those are community solar projects. We've impacted um, a lot of people's lives in a very positive way. We've put, we've raised and put over half a billion dollars of capital to work. And we're proud of all of that. But what we're most proud of is the team that we've built. And I think a real leader is someone who consistently uh, inspires the best in others um, and inspires them to join a mission. Uh, we are very proud of the, the mission that, that we're on, which is to revolutionize uh, energy with simple, powerful solar solutions. Um, so I, to me, the simple answer to that question is just it's inspiration. If people, if you cannot get people excited uh, about what you're doing and believe in what you're doing and, and create a hunger in them to come to, you know, come to work or work remotely every day with the team, whatever it may be, to make positive change in the world, then um, I think you're going to struggle. And Trevor, for people that are inspired that uh, you know by this podcast, they want to join the movement of Blue Wave. Where they, can they find more information uh, about what you do? I mean, we talked a lot about solar today, less about the company. Where can they find more information? Sure. Uh, well, there's a tremendous amount of resource on our website, bluewavesolar.com. Um, but I think you know, look, Google. <laughs> there's there's a tremendous amount. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There, some tremendous local associations where you can learn a lot about what it means to go renewable. Um, and uh, there's some great uh, uh, consumer-focused websites out there that do a tremendous job of educating, answer, answering some very simple questions about what it means to, to go solar. But, you know, absolutely, if folks want to reach out, and specifically as it relates to community solar, if you have any questions... Uh, you can input your information in our into a portal on our website and someone will absolutely reach out to you and uh, we'd be happy to have you on the uh, on the on the voyage with us well folks hop on the solar coaster we <laughs> talked about the solar coaster today we you know we started a little bit with the background we went, went up the the difficult part talking about storage and some of the difficulties and challenges solar's facing right now um, and then uh, it's it's belief. It's perfect. It's, it's being a revolutionary uh, uh, commodity that can really change the world uh, and then following it up with some leadership lessons and advice and what's going to take to establish this along the way. So, Trevor, just want to thank you for your time coming on here on the Real Leaders Podcast. Uh, for Trevor Hardy, I'm Kevin Howard. asking you to go out there, inspire belief in others, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Trevor. Kevin, thank you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You got it. <laughs>